Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to another edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our podcast, I'm going to be joined by Texas head coach Shaka Smart, South Carolina head coach Frank Martin, and Dan Gavitt, the senior executive vice president of the NCAA in charge of basketball. We're going to discuss the selection committee and all things college basketball on the show on March Madness 365. But before we get to that, I want to look at my Power 36 that was unveiled earlier in the week. A lot has changed, certainly, between then and when we are taping here toward the end of the week. Villanova, though, they remain the number one team in the country. My poll, AP Top 25 poll, look good in their victory over Georgetown this week. And look, if you had to pick one school right now that was going to be in the Final Four, it's going to be Villanova. I don't think there's any doubt that they would be the one choice that anyone had to pick right now would end up being a Final Four team. They're that good, that experienced. Jalen Brunson was part of my midseason All-American list, one of their guards that uh, certainly has been sensational for the Wildcats. And then in the two spot, the Purdue Boilermakers, undefeated right now along with Ohio State in the Big Ten. But the Boilermakers, sharing that kind of experience that Villanova has, I think uh, they're a safe bet as well to be a team that's going to go deep into the NCAA tournament. And I wouldn't have any problem right now picking Purdue as a Final Four team here in mid-January. After that, Virginia, they're going to get tested, certainly on the road in the ACC, but they've answered every challenge so far. They're the only undefeated team heading into their game against Georgia Tech on Thursday night. Uh, they were the only undefeated team in the ACC, and they are a solid team. But I'm not ready to put them as a Final Four team. Beyond that, I had Oklahoma, Texas Tech, West Virginia, all lined up in the Big 12 in that 4-5-6 range at the beginning of the week. Well, since then, they've all lost. Oklahoma to K-State, Texas Tech to Texas, and West Virginia at home to Kansas, which makes me... When this comes out on Monday, unless something changes again over the weekend, I'm going to vault Kansas back up above that group, uh, depending upon what happens this weekend. But certainly the Jayhawks deserve it. After winning at West Virginia, they may be the only team that gets a victory in Morgantown this season. So the Jayhawks reasserting themselves as the team to beat in the Big 12. Beyond that, I had Cincinnati, Wichita State. And Cincinnati has been so solid throughout the course of the American so far, and really outside of like one week this whole season. Wichita State shocked at home by SMU, a team that I had had in the Power 36 before they lost three in a row. And now the Mustangs with a victory over Wichita State on the road. That's going to put the Mustangs back in the picture and possibly back in my Power 36 on Monday. Michigan, 
Uh, very good victory over Maryland earlier this week. Uh, as we are taping, they are at Nebraska on Thursday night. But they're a solid pick in that, you know, I have them at nine, but in that top 15 group. Ohio State with their road victory over Northwestern. They're going to move up. Arizona is in the middle of a road swing. Uh, they're going to have to obviously get by Stanford, who's playing great basketball right now in the Pac-12 and certainly earning all sorts of credibility to be in our Power 36 come Monday. So Arizona, Ohio State, Michigan, all deserving spots, high up in that top 10. But now what do I do? What do I do with Duke? Because Duke, with their victory at Miami, certainly deserves to be back up where everyone assumed they would be, which would be in the top 10, which is where I think I'm going to have to put them, certainly, because they've earned it after those losses they had at NC State and at BC. Uh, Gonzaga, they're going to have a showdown Thursday night against St. Mary's. Uh, Rhode Island has been sensational uh, before even this came out. They knocked off uh, the Bonnies at home. Um, you know, Auburn lost at home, excuse me, on the road at Alabama, which didn't have Colin Sexton, which was a great win for the Tide. They're going to have some consideration to get back in the Power 36. You know, so look, Clemson losing to North Carolina. North Carolina is going to move up. I don't know necessarily if I move Clemson down, but North Carolina definitely moves up. TCU losing Jalen Fisher for the season, it looks like. Uh, you know, that's just totally disheartening for them uh, and a tough way because they've had such a hard schedule so far at the beginning of the Big 12. Um, Arizona State losing to Stanford. They're going to drop precipitously. Uh, just really disappointing how they played in the Pac-12 because I was so high on the Sun Devils for what they did in the non-conference. Louisville looked very strong uh, this week, beating Notre Dame, which is a great win for them. And David Padgett, Miami slides down after losing to Duke at home. Uh, so there's some movement here. You know, uh, the fact that I had Indiana... Uh, we'll see what happens when they play Michigan State on Friday night. I'm not saying they're in by any means. they got a lot of work to do. But certainly it's going to be an interesting run for the, the Hoosiers if they can somehow navigate that as well. Uh, New Mexico State and East Tennessee State, you know, I, I wanted to put them in position to where I think they deserve, you know, some consideration. And so that's kind of why I have them where they are right now, which I think is, um, which I think is deserving. You know, the news, though, out of Creighton, that's what's really uh, just really tough for the the Blue Jays because they they beat Seton Hall and they're off to such a great start and then to just to have this injury you know to 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 Martin and and I don't want to butcher his last name here but for for Martin uh, K R A M P E L J uh, and I don't want to butcher it so I'm just going to spell it for you but uh, you know he he tears his ACL. He was averaging 11 and 8 so far for the Blue Jays. And that that injury occurred in the Seton Hall game. But uh, th- this Creighton team is going to be a team that uh, they've withstood injuries before in the last couple of years. I still feel pretty confident that they're going to be in they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. But this is obviously going to affect their seed potentially. So uh, that was a little, you know, there's just been these injuries this week with with him and with Fisher. Uh, that certainly are hurting teams that uh, have had really good seasons so far. And, and Sexton, wow, well, with an abdominal injury, I don't think that's going to be something long-term. It's something he just couldn't play against Auburn. So shakeups certainly in the middle of the uh, Power 36. I think I'm going to have some new teams in the top 10 when I uh, do this again over the weekend in advance for Monday. So uh, it's going to be interesting. And, and, and Villanova and Purdue, though, those are two teams right now that I feel most confident saying those are Final Four teams right now here in mid-January. All right, so a lot to digest right there, but I want to get to my guests. Great interviews that I think you'll enjoy listening to, uh, especially from Shaka Smart, 
uh, everything that Texas has gone through over the last week or so. So uh, let's uh, head to our interview session, part of our March Madness 365 podcast. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, South Carolina head coach Frank Martin, Final Four coach from a year ago, and the Gamecocks are fresh off a victory over Kentucky 76-68. That occurred on Tuesday night at Colonial Life Arena there in Columbia, South Carolina. And and suddenly South Carolina is 3-3 three and three in the SEC, 12-6 and six overall. This is far from over. Uh, Frank, what did that win do for this team this season in terms of maybe being that season-changing win? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Andy, is it's uh, we went into Clemson December 19th or whatever it was, and we're playing good basketball. We're, we're a good basketball team, and, you know, we lose our backup point guard to a pulled hamstring in the first half. And, uh, uh, you know, so now we're a man down, and we couldn't figure it out. We get beat. You know, we fought them, but we just it is what it is. They're a good team. And we come back from Christmas, and then my starting point guard rolls his ankle real bad. And now not only is that our most inexperienced position on the team, but now we're down to our third point guard uh, as our starter. And, uh, you know, and it just it, it's, we should in practice because we didn't have enough body. Uh, now Gravit's been back practicing. The Alabama game, he didn't practice. He just, he tried it a shoot around. He said, I'm going to give it a good play. He wasn't good, hadn't practiced. But now since then, we've had good competitive practices again. And, um, you know, we've – so this should give us confidence that, you know what, we're back to – playing through our personality and doing things a certain way. And when you win games, it gives your young players confidence that what you're doing works. You know, this season, you know, I, I, I don't like the word rebuilding because you guys got to the Final Four. It's sort of reshuffling. Obviously, you lost some big-time stars. What did you think the timeline was for this group in terms of when you felt like, you know what, at this point, I think, like, you know, they're going to get it and we're going to have everything in and then, you know, by the second half, if we can survive to that point, we got a chance. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a combination of, you know, allowing guys to understand what we do in college basketball and league play. You know, eight or nine guys on our team have been in league play in the SEC. This is a first for them. So, you know, all those things play. And then when you combine the that we we didn't try to overcome the injury bug in late November, we had to overcome it three days before our first conference game. Uh, it made it hard because our league, the SEC, is real good. Now, the SC, there's not a night that you up and you say, okay, if we just play well enough, we'll win. That's not going to happen. Uh, you got to play real well tonight, and, uh, and it's still going to be real win in this league. And so it's – I'm not going longer than I thought. I, I, you know, the injury bug, when it happened – prevented us from being prepared to be ready for league play. But you know what? That's over and behind us. We've, well, for the last seven, eight days, uh, we got to stay in that momentum. Uh, we, our personality as a team, and Georgia's a real good team. Go look who they beat in non-conference play and where they beat them at. They're a real good basketball team. For us to go in there and beat Georgia and follow that up with beat Kentucky, who everyone can say whatever they want to say, Kentucky's real good. Uh, it should give our guys confidence. What did that Final Four run last year do for you in terms of the development of this program to where you know you can uh, 
you, you don't have that external pressure. I don't know. You know, it wasn't you. You always put pressure on yourself. But to get there, what did that do, do you think, for you in terms of the overall development long term of this program? Uh, it's um, it's a place that that's dying for basketball to be good again. And they're, they've, you know, since Coach McGuire uh, stepped aside, it's there's been pockets of success, but there's not been success. And, and there's been a lot of unbelievable years with no postseason success. So that lack of postseason success makes everyone forget how good those years were. You know, last run, you know, the year before we set a school record for wins. You know, Andy, the year before we won 25. You know, this is not all grapes. We were an NCAA team. We just metrics is what kept us out. But we were an NCAA caliber team. Uh, last year's team uh, makes a run. That comes from the confidence that they had the previous year, uh, that they knew they were good enough, but we just had to be better. And that's what last year's team did. And then the guys that were part of that run last year uh, that are on our team right now, they have that trust in who we are, what we do. And now they're trying to find this team through their personalities because it can't be through Sendarius and Dwayne and the guys that played for us last year. This year's team has to be held to the same level of uh, accountability, but it's got to be through different personalities. And that, that's what we've been trying to figure out. And I think that's what we around our, you know, put our arms around here recently. You know, Frank, as a coach, climbing the ladder, as you did really from the ground up, when you achieve the ultimate goal of getting to the Final Four and you're, you're just spending hours and hours trying to achieve that kind of monumental goal, once you achieve it, what's that come down? What's that other side like? as you prepare that next sort of uh, mountain that you need to tackle? Yeah, you know, it's funny you ask that because um, uh, that uh, I remember standing on, on – I called it a stage because I felt like we were on a stage, but it's a battle court at the Final Four in Phoenix. And the national anthem was being played, and I'm looking, seeing Jim Beheim, Jim, Jim Calhoun, Eddie Fogler, Tubby, all these faces that they're there – my team play and I idolize all those guys. I, I like just grew up watching all those guys. And I'm saying, Holy cow. I can't believe they're here to see my guys play. And uh, so it hit me, but then commended. And then I got home and out. I, I, I was like a, a mixed bag of emotions. I was confused. Uh, and I came in, and I told our players the coming back. I said, here's, here's what, what you guys need to understand about what I'm feeling like. If they told me I can never coach professionally, I will smile the rest of my life. But if they allow me to keep coaching, I got to stand on that stage on Saturday. I've got an itch like I've never had before, and that's an itch to coach on Monday. And I'm going to work harder and push harder than I've ever pushed before until I can be able to get rid of that itch. And so that's kind of where I'm at. That's that's That was my my moment uh, dealing with the final four and what's in front of me you know one of your mentors bob huggins is on the list this year to potentially be inducted into the hall of fame in uh, springfield mass if he can if he can crack that list in his first go round uh, we'll find out at the final four in san antonio if he makes it um, put into words what he has meant to you and why bob huggins is a hall of famer yeah it's uh, it, it, i'm, I'm a- tell you why he's such an unbelievable friend to me 
he recruited my players when I was coaching high school basketball, and he recruited them hard. He got any of the players. Uh, offered me a job for a kid. Uh, never did any of that stuff, yet he's helped me move forward in this profession uh, by trying to open doors for me more than anyone else. Um, and then you think about uh, when I took over at Kansas he could have done what 99% coaches in this country would have done. He could have taken Delonte Hill with him. He could have taken Michael Beasley, Bill Walker, Jacob Pullen with him. And he could have, like, ran with all that at West Virginia. Instead, he put everyone in a room and he said, I'm going to be okay. I'm home. It's Frank's turn. You guys need to stay behind and get his career going. And that's what happened. That's who he is. That's the human being that he is. And then the last part, why is he a Hall of Famer? Think about how many wins he's got. Go look at how many win seasons he's had in his career. And go look at the schools that he's done in that. He hasn't done it at the Blue Blood schools. He hasn't done it at the, 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 the incredible storied basketball programs. He's done it at Akron, Walsh College, K-State, West Virginia. No disrespect to those schools. They're incredible universities with like great basketball, but think about what he's done at those schools and the human being that he is, uh, amount of money he's raised for cancer, giving he is of his time. I've always said this. He is a man's man. He's as good a human being as I've ever met in this business. You know, it's funny you say about where he's been. I think you in the same way. Uh, not that you couldn't coach at a blue blood, but how satisfying is it for you that you've done it, you know, sort of uh, at places that, and I know they've had they they have had history, obviously at K State in South Carolina, but it's it's been a while ago. But uh, for you to sort of do what you've done um, at places where it's not as easy as some of those blue bloods. Yeah, uh, you know, Andy, I'm still right in the middle of it, and I'm and here in South Carolina, we've got so much work left to be done, and and so excited about trying to continue to grow the program so we can sustain a long period of time. Um, you know, but when you when I look back sometimes and, and I'm sitting by myself in the off season and just thinking and trying to die, you know, my years at Kansas State is the winningest five year run in the history of Kansas State. Um, and you look at the people who have coached there, Tex Winter, Cotton Fitzsimmons, um, uh, you know, longer. I mean, it's, it goes on and on. I'm, I'm leaving like three other Hall of Jack Gardner. I'm leaving famers out of there to think that I able to be a part of that in my five years there it's pretty special uh, we had the, the, the single most successful season in the history of the school also while i was there uh, and then follow that up and we come to south carolina and you know in five years uh, we've had the, the greatest two-year stretch in school history with the last two seasons we've had the winningest season in school history um and you know and making a final four and winning an ncaa game which hadn't happened here 1973 those things it, you know there's going to come a day where where i can sit back and say you know what i was around some powerful people that i was able to experience so much success chris silva at 27 in the victory over kentucky at 27 in the victory over vanderbilt um can't expect that all the time but uh what do you attest to his explosion if you will of his offensive production uh since the first of the year well it's uh, it gets back to things Number one, him take ownership of this basketball team through his personality. Uh, he's starting to feel comfortable in that place. The team's learning to play him. Uh, he 
He's staying out of foul trouble. He's grown up as a player, so he doesn't commit some of the silly committed in the past, so he stays on the court. And then the last part of it is his work ethic. I mean, you know, you're talking kid that, you know, came to the United States uh, just like the between his sophomore and junior year in high school and started playing basketball then. And you're talking about this is his fifth year of organized basketball and uh, who he is, his enthusiasm for for being coached, um, the, his enthusiasm for work, his, the whole thing. It's uh, I'm just I'm real happy for him because how he goes, our team will go. When he stays on the court, uh, he's active, and uh, you know he's 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 a. I said it yesterday after the game. He's a horse. I mean, he is strong. Uh, he doesn't give in, uh, and uh, he he brings the enthusiasm and the confidence that uh, that's starting to grow in our basketball team. You know, I'm just glancing at your schedule, and this is why I can't stand when people say, oh, you know, they're out of it or whatever. I mean, you guys have so many opportunities. Now, it could go either way, but, I mean, you got two games against Tennessee. You've got A&M that's playing, obviously, a little bit better. they got two against Auburn. They're in first. got two against Florida. you got got to go to Arkansas. you got the return game against Georgia. You play LSU. And, oh, by the way, in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, you take on Texas Tech, which right now is tied for first with Kansas in the Big 12, how do you assess what you have remaining in terms of the opportunities that are ahead of this team? You just depressed me. That's what you just did. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually no, but sometimes sometimes schools have no shot at this point because they don't have games that they could potentially help their case. You've got one every game. Well, I, you know, and this is what I, for whatever reason, you know, school opinion before the season said we were going to not be any good this year. So we've won 12 games. Uh, we've got an RPI in the low 40s. Uh, we, we've got quality wins at Georgia, uh, Wyoming at home, Kentucky. You know, we've got quality wins. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know what the season ended today with those numbers. I'd like to think we're an NCAA team. I don't know how we get left out in a Power 5 conference, 12 wins, and, and 500 with a strong RPI and a strong the schedule and given the fact that we've played nine games from home so you know but it is what it is season does is not over and the same way a lot of people threw in the towel outside our locker room about nine days ago when we lost at alabama you know i'm not going to listen to all the success story because we beat kentucky uh, we we got to get to march and when we get to march we got to take it one game one time and and let the chips fall where they may that's where our league right now is good my first three years in this league if you're a team that chance you couldn't lose the game in late january february because your numbers would hurt uh now because of the strength of the league credit to the coaches the players the campuses uh dan lebowitz the the vision he's brought to our league office to to kind of uh, make us all see this it's it's allowed us to now be in a playing field where when you win game in january february your number gets stronger and when you lose a league game in january february like everybody else does your number doesn't waver and that's that's the power of uh of what we created in our conference right now hey before we let you go frank uh make sure when you make your case don't dismiss opening wafford's new building to there start the season on the road, you win that game by 21. That's the same team that went to Chapel Hill and beat North Carolina. So don't sell that win short. 
I'm, I'm glad you're paying attention, Andy, because there's a lot of people that don't give us credit for that. Yes, not many would just open the season at Wofford, and obviously they're a pretty good team as well. Well, Frank, always a pleasure uh, spending time with you, and uh, good luck, uh, and we'll keep checking in. Thank you, Andy. And joining me here on the March Madness 365 podcast in a moment, Dan Gavitt, the NCAA Senior Executive Vice President in Charge of Basketball. And now joining us here on March Madness 365, Dan Gavitt, the Executive Vice President of the NCAA, essentially in charge of the NCAA tournament, all things college basketball on the men's and the women's side. And Dan, uh, quadrant has been the word, the new verbiage that we're all going to be using in describing how teams are sort of evaluated. Um, How much do you think that word has caught on with the coaches and the athletic directors of trying to make sure they've got enough games and wins in quadrants one and two, because those are the two that I think most everyone's going to be focusing on. Without a doubt. And I think it's, you know, it's really just starting to get the attention that it will get, certainly, as we get closer to March, Andy. Um, but this is really very much born of collaboration from the men's basketball committee with the NABC in recognizing that quality wins on the road in particular and neutral sites encompass a lot more than just the top 30 or 50 teams. So having a win on the road against a team that's ranked in the low seventies is every bit recognized as the same quality as a team that you beat at home in top 30. So, you know, I've noticed a ton of schools, you know, really paid attention over the last couple of years with their schedule, or even if they're playing lower-level teams. You know, I was talking to, you know, earlier on our podcast, uh, you know, with Frank Martin and the South Carolina head coach, and, you know, they went and opened at Wofford earlier this season, and Wofford's the school that won at North Carolina. You know, schools willing to do that. Auburn went to Murray State uh, and played Middle Tennessee State on a neutral. I mean, how much do you think it's resonated with some of these coaches that they're willing to take their teams on the road uh, or to neutral sites against maybe schools that are outside that power eight, if you will, uh, because they know that's going to, to be something that the committee members are going to look fondly upon. Well, I, I think they recognize it based on the results of selection and seating in the NCAA tournament. It's very much been proven out over the last many years by the committee's decisions. And they want to put their teams in the best position to be selected and then seated well in the NCAA tournament. I think it'll, it'll, it'll get even more attention once the recognition with the team sheet change in these four new quadrants takes hold because playing quality opponents on the road or in a neutral setting will bear more, more fruit and, and, again, put a team in the best position uh, for the NCAA championship. You know, the other thing, Dan, is that it, it seems like this was much more of a collaborative effort and the cooperation with the NABC and the coaches and the committee members and those on the staff like yourself, it seems like we're at a point now where everyone is on the same page. It's not just, you know, these guys in a room or, you know, men and women are deciding and we have no say in what they're doing and how they're going about it. How much has that evolved and changed over the last couple of years, the transparency between the coaches who, you know, have tended in the past to complain a little bit about it now are a partner in the process? Yeah, it's been it's been really a great development, you know. Credit to Jim Haney, executive director of the NABC, as well as the the NABC board, 
Bill Self, the president of that right now. John Calipari's on the board. Tom Izzo, Mike Bray. You know, they working in collaboration um, has has been good. It's 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 the benefit of everybody. The tournament is so so precious. It's it's so valued by everybody. But everyone wants to make it as as good as it can possibly be, and this is part of it. And you know, informally. For a long time, the committee has recognized the value of road wins and neutral site wins because that's essentially the way you play in the NCAA tournament. You're not playing home games. You're playing neutral site games, or indeed, in some cases, you're a higher seed. You're the, un- the crowd's rooting for the underdog, so it's almost like a road game. So a team's b- ability to go on the road and or play away from home and win is critical to the team, to the committee's evaluation of how good they really are. So you you are a student of the game. Obviously, it's in your family history. You know, as you've sort of observed this season, how much do you think, uh, you know, it's a little bit wide open to where, you know, you could maybe pick, you know, 10 teams. I mean, a really collection of different, you know, whether it's Purdue, Villanova, Michigan State, Duke, uh, Wichita State, Cincinnati. I mean, I could go down the list of a number of teams, and if you were to tell me which four are going to be in the Final Four, I wouldn't be surprised. No, you know, it's, it's the magical thing about March Madness, Andy, right? There's every reason as a fan of college basketball to hope and think that your team has it in them to make a run to the Final Four, indeed, to win the national championship. And with, with every other sport that's great, none's quite like ours in that regard. Because if your team develops and rolls into March feeling good and playing well for three weeks and six games, anyone can win the national championship. And and that's never more so apparent than this year. You know, the other thing too is as great as this freshman class is, and there are a number of players that are going to go on to the next level at obviously at a high level. um, So many of the teams that I just rattled off are based on, you know, experience and they got old, they stayed old. And, and, you know, Villanova and Purdue obviously jump out to me the most. And to some extent, you know, whether it's West Virginia, Texas Tech, um, you, you know, Michigan State to some extent, uh, Arizona a little bit. H- how much do you think that that sometimes gets lost, the value of age and experience that a lot of these coaches have figured out that that may be the recipe to being a consistent winner? Well, I think there's any question about that. The, you look at the last two champions – in North Carolina and Villanova the year before that, and even uh, Gonzaga last year in the championship game with North Carolina, those are older teams, experienced veteran teams. And really, more often than not, in in March, that's the recipe for long-term success, you know, getting all the way to the Final Four national champion. You can almost name on one hand, Andy, over the last 10 years, very young teams that have gotten to the Final Four or indeed won the national championship. Duke's 2015 comes, uh, team comes to mind. Kentucky's 2012 team comes to mind. Ohio State's 2007 team comes to mind. But outside of that, if you look at Final Four teams and, and indeed national champions, most of them have a significant amount of veteran experienced players. You know, you mentioned the last couple of national championship games. Two Catholic schools played for the title. Villanova two years ago against North Carolina. Last year, Gonzaga against North Carolina. Uh, and Villanova wins two years ago. Gonzaga does not. Uh, look, I'm not criticizing college football. It's just sort of a fact that uh, unless – I mean, it's a small pool of teams that can compete for the college football championship. 
that's not the case in college basketball. So th- how much does that make this sport really almost like America's college sport? Because so many different schools with a complete diversity of missions across the country and size and scope can actually compete for a national championship. Well, I think you're hundred percent right. And, and, you know, college football is fantastic. It's beloved and the CFP is a fantastic championship and event. If you look at the last four years, though, the first four years of the CFP, there have been only nine schools that have competed in those four CFP championships. In that same four-year time period, 13 different schools have competed in the Final Four over a four-year time period. And they've been from coast to coast. They've been huge schools and smaller schools. And, you know, I think that is one of the great things about college basketball and March Madness in particular is, I, used, I like to say it's a, it's one of the most, if not the most democratic with a small D event in the world in that anybody can make it. And it doesn't matter if you're a high-resourced, huge school with great tradition or a small school that has a great starting five and excellent coaching and good chemistry. Again, for three weeks and six games, anybody can get there. You know, one last thing, Dan, and, and you know, we'll have plenty of time to talk about this, but suddenly you know, March Madness comes upon everyone and there's the tournament. For those that fully don't grasp what happens behind the scenes, uh, this year-long process to get to the tournament in the Final Four, um, how massive an undertaking is it to get to that selection Sunday prior to even the start of the college basketball season? Well, it, it is. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a huge team effort. I say team. It's not just the NCAA staff and most importantly, the men's basketball committee, the 10 folks that select the teams and then run the tournament. But honestly, it's our whole membership. You know, I mean, we've got 14 different sites we use. Each one of those sites is hosted by an institution or a conference that's a member of the NCAA. They take enormous pride in that. The cities and venues take enormous pride in that. They all want to put on the very best round of the tournament that's ever been hosted. And so it really is this incredible kind of coast-to-coast and border-to-border uh, effort for March that just makes it really special. It, uh, it's, it's the best, and lucky to be part of it. Dan Gavitt, Executive Director from the NCAA. I know we'll be chatting throughout the course uh, of this season and into the off season. Thanks for joining us here on March Madness 365. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate you, man. You're the best. And coming up here on March Madness 365, Texas head coach Shaka Smart. And now joining us here on March Madness 365, Texas head coach Shaka Smart. Longhorns fresh off their victory over Texas Tech in Austin as they get ready to take on West Virginia this weekend. And it's been an interesting season, to say the least, in Austin and uh, Shaka, let's first deal just in general about how you've been able to sort of keep this team together with so many injuries. And I know we'll, we'll briefly touch on Andrew Jones here in a moment, but just how have you been able to sort of navigate the season to this point? Well, just try to stay really flexible, Andy, and, uh, you know, have the ability to have an awareness for where the guys are at mentally, physically, and understanding that you're going to have to adjust when certain changes are made in, in, in your roster and who's available to play. So, you know, we go out there and, and play uh, sometimes with lineups that we haven't practiced a lot with just because of some of the, the things that we've dealt with this season. When the season started, 
if everyone was you know healthy on board. I'm curious, what did that team look like versus maybe the one that you're coaching right now? How much of a difference is there? Well, I mean, every team evolves over the course of the season. I think, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, Andrew Jones was our leading scorer and, and, and a guy that, um, you know, by far was the most natural scorer of anyone on our team. Uh, Kerwin Roach was, was completely healthy uh, and, and we thought was – playing as well as anyone in the country defensively. Um, and, and, you know, obviously Andrew's gone through an extremely tough situation, which has obviously become much, much bigger than basketball. And then, you know, Kerwin Roach has dealt with, uh, you know, a broken hand that uh, he sustained in, in December. And uh, it's getting better. And he was able to play last night for the first time in a little while. But it's not uh, all the way healed yet. So, Andrew was originally injured before the diagnosis of leukemia. Um, how were his spirits prior to that diagnosis when he was first injured? Well, it was tough when he was injured because, uh, he, you know, he, he went down in the game. Actually, we were playing against VCU in early December. And when we got the, the results that he had a hairline fracture in his wrist, you know, the guys, you could sense from them that, that there was a little bit of feeling, wow, you know, what are we going to do without him because he's such a crucial part of what we do. But at the same time, you know, guys understand that injuries are part of the game and they've got to step forward. We didn't have the same swagger offensively or, or just overall as a team because Andrew's a guy probably, you know, of, of all our guys, it's uh, one of the more naturally confident guys. Uh, so we we just kind of had to learn to adjust and play, you know, with, with him on, on the bench uh, in street clothes, and the guys did a pretty good job of that. If you can, Shock, and I know you can't say more than what we already know about his diagnosis, but if you just take me through just how you as a coach, you know, hears news like that of a player, and, and what, what is the process that you went through uh, as you hear it, then you have to relay it, uh, and what those hours were like as you, you know, were dealt this sort of just, you know, awful news and, 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 and dealing with, you know, how you were going to handle it in, that, in those immediate moments. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things we've really tried to do and we'll, we'll always continue to try to do is, you know, have the highest level of respect for the privacy of his family and, you know, and Andrew himself. So, you know, when, when, when we found out, you know, that he was that he was he was sick and, 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 and really sick. You know, we, we weren't really able to tell many people. We weren't able to tell our team, um, you know, because one of the things that happens is this, there's a series of tests that, 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 you know, that guys go through and, you know, you, you've got to do, uh, I guess, an initial diagnosis and then further uh, diagnoses after that. So there was about Andy, uh, I guess a four or five day stretch where I knew that, that Andrew was, was really, really sick. And the team knew that something was bothering me. Um, I was trying to, you know, do my job as a coach and, 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 you know, I guess compartmentalize with, with those guys as much as possible. But, you know, this is a guy that that we all love and consider part of our family. So, they could tell that, that that something wasn't right, and I just kept telling them, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you guys as soon as I can, 
and and uh, you know then the, the night before we played TCU last week, I believe it was a Tuesday evening, we we were able to communicate to the team. In, in your career, I can't imagine there's another comparable situation. I mean, how were you able to, to get through that where you, as you said, had to sort of divide your brain in two and deal with the day-to-day, but also know this enormous you know, weight was on your shoulders of information that you had and that you couldn't share that you obviously were hoping would, would turn out for the best? Well, I think it, times like these, you know, learn from people around me and, you know, other coaches that I've have the ability to work with. Um, it's, it's it's most important to focus on on others, you know. And, and so, I've tried to do is uh, you know focus on our guys and focus on Andrew and you know uh, any, anything that we can do from our athletic department and our staff standpoint to support Andrew and his family. I've tried to go visit him as much as uh, I possibly can, so I can just be around him and he knows that that, that we care about him and that we love him. Um, and then, like I said, also just focus on the guys and their needs and, and supporting them. And then once we relayed the news to them, they were very, very upset. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of tears, a lot of emotion, uh, and just trying to be a support system for them. But what was it like, Shaka, when you were at home? I don't know how much you were able to share with your, fa- your, you know, your wife, your family, when you had those moments by yourself. Uh, it was hard because my wife, you know, she she knew that uh, something was bothering me, and she knew, you know, I was not coming home at the same time I, I normally uh, would, and, and so I just I just told her that you know there's there's some stuff that you know we've we've got to do, you know, with with our guys and and particularly with with Andrew, and you know I have a young daughter, and I think one of the things that you know for all of us that, that have kids of our own think about when when you go through something challenging with your team or with with your players is you know you relate it to your your own child and uh what that does i think is it, it gives all of us a sense of perspective of you know how important these things are for an immediate family so tell me if you can what what has the school set up obviously the ncaa you know clearly was not going to block anything and you know has endorsed it what have you guys set up in terms of um you know, a, a, a fund or or a way in which the public can help. Yeah, there's a fund that uh, that the University of Texas set up. You know, through our compliance office. So obviously, everything is cleared through them. That is is basically a fundraiser to help uh, Andrew and his family with you know all the expenses, and there will be a lot of expenses uh, that are incurred. Uh, you know, surrounding his his treatment and, uh, you know, his recovery and, you know, obviously his family being there with him and, and all that goes along with that. So, you know, people have been very, very generous. Uh, I don't know the exact number as of, uh, you know, real time right now, but I know it's in the six figures, you know, over $100,000 that's been raised. Um, and, you know, the, the reality is they're going to need a lot of support and they're going to need uh, support in a lot of different ways, financially and otherwise, and we want to do everything we possibly can to make this extremely difficult situation uh, one that that they don't feel like they're completely alone in. You know, obviously, you know when when you have a a, a close knit family, um, you know that's that that's your family, and there and there's a circle there. Uh, but we want them to understand 
that, you know, outside of that immediate family circle, there are, you know, thousands and thousands of people that, that care and want to help in any way that we can. You know, and obviously this is a case uh, where I'm sure it's tremendous. You're in a university like the University of Texas, tremendous medical facilities in Austin. How much have you already seen that, uh, you know, close hand, uh, you know, for, for up, up close to the benefits of, you know, something awful like this happening, but at a place where you know, you're not at some remote school that doesn't have a major medical center or anything like that? No, it's, uh, it's, it's, you're exactly right, Andy. The response from the medical community and people that have gone through uh, a similar diagnosis or doctors, you know, that, that have dealt with leukemia has been terrific. And, you know, I, I can't speak uh, too much about specifics, but, um, you know, it's our hope that, um, you know, there's absolutely no stone that goes unturned with making sure that everything is looked at to help uh, Andrew get back to full health and, you know, every type of specialist or uh, type of treatment or, or, or uh, option is, is reviewed and looked at so that he has the best possible care anyone could have. And, and how would you describe the emotion of that TCU win? Well, it was, uh, it was just a really emotional 24 hours because literally 24 hours before the game started, that's when we were able to communicate to our team uh, the diagnosis with Andrew and these guys were, I mean, they were beside themselves. I mean, there was multiple guys on our team that were just sobbing, you know, uncontrollably. And we're coaches. We're, we're we, you know, I, I, you know, coaches are kind of, you know, part therapists and part psychologists and, and, and we did our best to, you know, just try to help them understand that, uh, you know, everything that, that, that could be done for Andrew would be done. And, uh, you know, and hopefully there's a really, really good chance that he will be able to make a, make a full recovery. But, you know, they were upset, you know, so for us to turn the page the next day and, and, and have to play a really, really talented uh, and, and challenging TCU team, we knew was going to be, you know, a daunting task. But I got the guys did a really good job of coming together and I think not just our players, but, you know, everyone that was part of the game, the fans, you know, you know, everyone that was there, there was a spirit in the building that was extra special that, that had everything to do with Andrew. And what did you think of the gesture that Texas Tech did uh, in their game against you guys in Austin, the jerseys they wore, sort of honoring Andrew Jones? Well, actually, Oklahoma State did the same thing, Andy. So, uh, you know, they both wore before the game – shooting shirts that, uh, you know, that, that, that said Andrew or said A. Jones and had the number one on it. And it's just, you know, it means a lot when teams that we play against and we compete against on a regular basis and, and you know, teams that quite frankly want to, want to beat us really bad. And, and we want to be really bad, you know, set that aside at least temporarily and say, Hey, we really care about, uh, Andrew, we want to support in any way we can. Uh, we want to see him be able to make a full recovery, and he's a special young man. I know this is a hard segue, but if we can get back to the court for a second, I mean, the play of Mo Bamba and Dylan Osikowski this season ha- has been sensational. I mean, they've been two players that really have splashed onto the scene nationally, uh, and if people haven't had a chance to watch them, they're obviously a pleasure. Can you take each one here about 
their development this season and what they've meant to this program, what you've seen in terms of their ability to really impact the game? Well, you know, one thing we've been fortunate with Andy is really from the beginning uh, when Mo got here in, in uh, early June, those, those two hit it off really, really well. So they've, they've gotten along well. They, they complement each other so well on the court. Their games uh, are very, very different. And obviously Mo is, is just an unbelievable athletic talent who has so many different gifts uh, with what he can do. Uh, but Dylan's a guy who makes Mo better. And, you know, Mo, I think over time has learned to make Dylan better. Mo's still learning. I mean, he's 18 games into his freshman year and he's still dealing with adjusting Andy to the physicality uh, of the college level and particularly playing in the Big 12, the way that people try to beat you up. Uh, he's not the strongest guy in the world, although he is stronger than he looks. Um, but Dylan has really helped him to build a mindset of aggressiveness and toughness, and then the two of them really play well off of each other. So as you head to this uh, game against West Virginia, and you know you got Oklahoma coming up, I mean, every game in this league is ridiculously challenging. Um, with what you have right now, and you know, this is going to be the team for the rest of the season. Uh, where do you think this group is in terms of navigating and managing what lies ahead in the Big 12? Well, I think all that stuff has to be about um, guys doing what goes into helping their teammates. And, you know, I tell Dylan all the time because of all the guys on our team, he's the best leader. Uh, I always tell him, lead the charge and your play will follow. Um, so I think if we can get our guys on a regular basis to stay committed to understanding there's a process that goes into winning in the Big 12, it's not easy. Uh, there's really good teams. There's really challenging venues. And if we can own that together and helping each other with that, I think we have a good chance to win our fair share of games. But I know that sounds simple. One of the things that happens is guys want to win so bad Sometimes they, 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 they kind of pull inward and focus on just what they need to do, and that's the biggest mistake you can make. Well, Shaku, I really appreciate you taking some time. Um, you've handled this you know, as well as anyone can. You know, your character has always been impeccable, and um, it, it's really just, uh, you know, we obviously we send all our thoughts and prayers to Andrew Jones and his family and the entire Texas uh, basketball team and, and program, and uh, we just know that you guys are going to pull through this and, um, you know, uh, everyone I know on our end is behind you and, uh, just, uh, stay strong. Well, I appreciate it, Andy. It's great to be on with you and it's awesome to have you back in college basketball. Thanks, Shaka. I appreciate it. You got it, man. Take care. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. Of course, go to iTunes or wherever you find your podcast, download it, rate us, Keep coming to us for all your news and information and interviews in the sport of college basketball. We are 365 March Madness 365. You can find us on NCAA.com and March Madness on Twitter. Thanks for listening.